This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. And today I want to talk about all those MarTech solutions out there. So all the software tools you use and that you could use, plenty of options out there. So, of course, I got the expert in that field um, as a guest on the show today, Scott Brinker. Scott, how's it going? Hey, Christoph. It's great to be here with you. Of course, I've been following your content for a long time. Uh, and, and every year, I think it's every year, right? You publish the um, unreadable marketing technology landscape graphic. That's actually what we call it now, the the unreadable MarTech graphic. It's <laughs> official name. <laughs> and I mean, tell us about that. What What is it about? What is it showing? And um, how has it evolved over the years? Sure. Well, we could back up about 10 years. Um, I, uh, you know, one of the things I've been a champion of is how marketing organizations should have more technical talent uh, on the team. Uh, You know, not all marketers need to be technologists, but you need some technology savvy in the team as a whole. And so about 10 years ago, I put together a map of all the different marketing technologies I knew about at the time to try and persuade chief marketing officers that, hey, look how dependent you are on this technology. Shouldn't you maybe have someone on your team who can help with this? And the first map had something like 150 technologies, which... I mean, at the time, everyone, including me, was like, oh, my goodness, 150. That's crazy. How will we ever keep track of them all? Uh, And then, yeah, pretty much every year since then, I've gone back to do that exercise of just trying to map out the landscape of all the MarTech tools out there. And it's been crazy. It's gone from hundreds to thousands. We just released, uh, you know, the 2021 uh, uh, last month, and it was 8,000 different MarTech tools. And that's just unbelievable. How do you how do you keep track, right? That's why it's unreadable, at least at first glance, of course. But what kind of categories do they fall into? What are the? I mean, I use uh, technology tools, right, for for certain things, and I think probably everybody does. I, I would guess today. Uh, but but what kind of categories are, are we talking about here? What what are the things these software tools help us with? Sure. Well, we uh, we have six very large categories, things like advertising and promotion, mm-hmm. uh, content and experience, uh, social and relationships, sales and commerce, uh, data, and then, frankly, also a whole bunch of management tools for the management of marketing. Uh, and then within each one of those, you've got, uh, I think there's something like a total of like 47, 48 different subcategories, but they're things like CMS, like what do you use to manage your website? There are things like, um, you know, content marketing software, which is a pretty broad category. It includes even things like, I suppose, you know, we're using Anchor FM here to record this podcast. This is a this is a marketing technology tool for recording podcasts. 
Um, you know, it just, yeah, there's, it's actually amazing when you map it out and you recognize just how many different activities and functions in marketing and sales today, we're using some category of tools to help make happen. And so in in your categories, what, where would anchor fit in? What's, how would you categorize that? Yeah, I'd put it in the very broad bucket of uh, content marketing tools. Right. This is a and part of the challenge with that category is it is so broad because you've got things like tools to help with the creation of content like Anchor FM. You've got things that help with the distribution and marketing uh, of content. You have things that help with the analytics uh, of determining the impact the content uh, marketing campaigns and programs are having. Um, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's a large category. There's like several hundred tools in it. And so when we talk, so a couple, I mean, all kinds of different avenues we can go down here for the discussion. But my first question is, so when I pick any kind of software, um, first of all, I look at, is it working? Does it do what I need it to do? Right. Um, And then I I also look at the cost. So for example, let's just keep picking on Anchor for a minute. Anchor is free, right? They also, they keep some rights to my content. They can use it in different places, which I'm a marketer. Be my guest. (laughs) (laughs) That's a feature, not a bug. (laughs) Right? Use it wherever you like because it's still my voice. You know, if they use our podcast for something, whatever. It's both of us. You probably wouldn't mind either, right? That they use. I'm going to be checking out Anchor FM right after this. I promise you. (laughs) So, and then the way you record, it's super easy, right? I mean, you know, we're not logging in. I mean, we log into it, but it's pretty easy. I can um, edit directly in the app. Um, I can add my uh, my opening. I can add the closing. I can add pre-roll or mid-roll. Super easy. And then it's free, right? So I'm looking at all those different things. Um, how do companies compete? How do they, uh, you know, how is one company, how can they charge more or how can they, uh, you know, how, how do you stand out in that market of 8,000 companies? Yeah, well, I mean, it is is a really diverse landscape. And one of the things that, you know, I would say the landscape does a very bad job of doing is giving you a sense of the relative scale of these solutions. For instance, you know, like in in that landscape of 8,000 tiny unreadable logos, you know, there are companies like Adobe and Salesforce and, you know, Oracle and HubSpot. I mean, these are companies that are like, you know, multi-billion dollar public companies that have huge footprints, you know, in marketing technology stacks. And then you go all the way down the spectrum to, yeah, picking on it again, why not? You know, tools like Anchor FM that, you know, I mean, Anchor is, not going to be challenging Adobe for, you know, dominance in MarTech anytime soon, but it's a great tool for what it does, you know, and uh, clearly they've come up with some sort of business model that given what it costs them to build this tool and the way they are able to monetize it through something other than a direct subscription. Hey, if that works for them and you love the tool, wow. Like why not celebrate that as a great uh, MarTech success? Mm-hmm. So, and I think, I don't know how they monetize it, but I, I'm, I'm guessing because it's owned by Spotify, right? That's how it gets monetized because they have more, they have more podcasts now on Spotify uh, by people using it. Um, that's, that's just my guess. Um, so, but how do you, so when I'm looking, I'm looking at some of the tools out there um, and, you know, 
let's say social media scheduling, right? There's some tools that are relatively cheap and then there's other tools that are more expensive. And when you ask me, I'm oversimplifying journalists by trade, Scott. So that's what we do, right? Oversimplify things or simplify things. Simplify, we we'll look simplify, at it. yes. <laughs> simplify things. But they, but they really like, they, they do the same thing, right? But one costs me whatever, 18 bucks a month or whatever, $29 a month. And the other one costs me tens of thousands of dollars per year. Um, how do people like? How do people dive in and figure out which one is um, better for them and which one is worth spending money on? I mean, how do you decide in this kind of landscape? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there's kind of two answers there. In some cases, it's simply that at an early stage in a market, there is there's an arbitrage opportunity where essentially, yeah, there was a company in there that built something. They're charging way too much money for it. There's an opportunity for an entrepreneur to come in, essentially implement the same thing, better, easier, faster, cheaper, you know, and sell it at dramatically lower price uh, and eventually take over the market. Um, and you've certainly seen a, a lot of examples. Uh, you've certainly seen a lot of examples of that in MarTech, but it's interesting because not all of the scenarios have that structure. There are cases where if you look at a set of tools in a given market, at a very high level, they do the same things, like say social media scheduling, but they're very often become features that, so for instance, if you're a small company, maybe you don't need a lot of you know, control around uh, you know, the governance of who has access to do what things, you know, are there approval processes, you know, what sort of auditing do we have, you know, are we making sure that the data we're tracking on this is you know, uh, compliant? And I mean, there's all this stuff you get into that for a small company, they could care less about, you know, or I, I, I should say probably isn't as you know, very high on their list of things to pay for. But a larger enterprise, those features are essential in order for them to be able to adopt that. And so that tool tends to be priced more partly because, you know, uh, they have more functionality they have to build out. And second is when you're the inexpensive tool, it's often very easy to sell touchlessly or with a freemium model or something like that on the web. You know, as you get into these larger enterprise oriented sales, there still tends to be like a sales force and, you know, customer success has to help companies with, you know, training and configuration and and all those things cost money. So, you know, that there can be legitimate reasons why you will see, you know, significant differences in pricing in the same, quote unquote, kind of tool. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely interesting to see the differences and uh, definitely the different costs. So how let's talk about marketing and the reality of um, a software solution. Um, so I've actually demoed and, you know, tried software um, solutions where um, I knew about them because their marketing was really good. Right. Um, they kept popping up in my feed or people kept talking about them. I mean, like we're talking about Anchor, right? Like at some point, somebody will hear about Anchor just because people keep talking about them. And um, once, you, once you dive in, the tool is not anything like the marketing. <laughs> when has <laughs> you know? that ever happened? <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, uh, hats off to the marketing team, but... Uh, but but you know you're not going to convert me to a customer, right? If it doesn't work the way uh, 
your marketing um, uh, portrays it, or even I think sometimes the other way I see that is you see a company, they're really established themselves as like a content marketing expert or a marketing expert. And then when you look at their tool, you think, well, whoever's doing your marketing didn't create this <laughs> because, you know, it's really not solving a marketer's problem. How do you combine those things and how do you, how do you whittle through that maybe a little quicker than having to evaluate 8,000 tools? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I kind of feel like this is one of the things, I mean, certainly in MarTech, but frankly, in almost every category these days, you know, not just B2B, but even in consumer, it's like the internet really has shrunk the window of acceptable difference between what the marketing says and what the product service actually delivers. Um, you just can't get away with, uh, oh, well, you know, I mean, the advertising campaign was really compelling. Uh, cool. Um, and it not actually living up to that because, you know, I mean, first of all, you know, once people start running into that, they turn around and they start posting reviews about this. Uh, you know, there's certainly uh, significant review sites, you know, all throughout B2B and SaaS and Warrantech too. Uh, um, you know, so it, it, it's hard to hide from that. You know, and the other thing is, again, most software in particular has moved to a subscription service. Uh, and even those that are doing things like, you know, freemium plays where you get to try it out. And then based on that trial, you know, they then convert you to a customer. And, yeah, if the product doesn't live up to the marketing, you know, people don't people don't convert. People don't uh, renew. People don't, uh, you know, aren't retained. And, and, and you've seen plenty of that, right? I mean, this is why when in SaaS they talk about, you know, churn, you know, being such a challenge. It's because, yeah, people tried a tool and, uh, yeah, it didn't live up to their expectations on what it would deliver. Um, and I, I, I don't think there's any magic bullet here. I mean, what you have to do is you have to make sure that your product and your marketing are aligned. You have to solve a real problem. You have to do it well, you know, and then you have to tell that story in a very authentic way. So um, you have me at authentic for sure. Um, agree with that. Uh, but so the other day I had somebody on the show and I, I was trying to remember who it was. Uh, maybe it was. Mel Rod, and I don't re exactly remember what show it was, but the discussion focused around um, creating a new website. So when some a new CMO comes in, I think I'm pretty sure it was Mel, and a new CMO comes in, and what's the first thing they do? They redesign the website. <laughs> <It'll>, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes. Right. Um, because, like, first of all, that takes time. First of all, that's very tangible. You can show the boss. Look at our new website. Is it converting people? Nobody even asked that. You know, they just look at look how beautiful it is. And maybe it is. Um, and but it's something tangible and, and it takes time. Um, and then, of course, we don't want to forget about that. That's just the starting point. Um, but implementing a new technology technology solution also takes time. Right. And you're kind of I mean, it depends what it is. I mean, I can go and sign up for Buffer or Hootsuite and start tomorrow. Right. Give a few more team members access and we're ready to go. But some of those other tools, they take time. And I remember going through some of those projects. Um, is that like, like, how do teams maneuver that? Uh, you know, you were talking about, this is what prompted me to think about this, Scott, because you said um, you can go month to month. And I do that all the time, right? I don't need it anymore. I, I cancel it or I change to something else. But how does that work when you just spend four months convincing your boss, the CEO, that you need whatever it costs to implement a tool 
And um, then it took you another four months to, to get it going. And then, I mean, can you just decide to um, switch or how, what tips do you have when it comes to that? Yeah. Wow. Oh man, this is a fantastic topic. Um, so not all MarTech software is equal, right? There are very different um, layers almost of software. And you have things like these, what, what Gartner would call systems of record. They're like the foundational systems that you, you know, run your business on. And we, we have quite a few of those in marketing, right? Like we think of our CRM uh, in that category, our marketing automation platform, probably even our web, uh, you know, content management, digital experience management system. These are big foundational investments. They cost a lot. They take uh, really, frankly, more of the cost is in actually implementing and getting trained and getting all your processes embedded. Um, and so for those sorts of decisions, yeah, once you make them, you don't want <laughs> it's just not pragmatic to turn around and say, all right, actually, now that we've thought about it, you know, let's switch to something else. Um, so you want to be invest a lot of upfront time in evaluating your options and really designing the implementation. Um but, you know, not all MarTech software fits that category. I mean, like, again, you mentioned like Buffer, you know, as an example, like Buffer is a great example of something that like, hey, you know, heck, let me sign up, try it, start using it. If I like it, I'll keep it. If I don't like it, I'll move to something else. And the cost of switching, um, frankly, isn't very high. Uh, and so I think this is one of the things where you want to be, you, you want to treat these things in two different buckets. You want to be very cautious and deliberate uh, in how you make the decisions on those foundational systems. And on the other side, yeah, you want to have a certain agility and willingness to experiment with systems that, yeah, have a much lower switching cost, um, you know, or trial cost to uh, uh, give it a shot. So when I, when I look at your uh, MarTech 8000, um, and we'll, we'll post the link in the show notes, of course, uh, so it grew, right, 13.6%. And one, of five, uh, one in five of the solutions weren't there um, the last year, the previous year. Um, and did any, how many went away? I'm not seeing that number uh, immediately or consolidated. Do you know? Yeah, it was about 615, I believe. Which, I mean, it's actually oh, yeah. quite a bit for, you know, a year over year of, uh, you know, uh, churn. <laughs> So when you uh, so when you're trying to make an investment and you're deliberate and you have you know I mean that's almost that's what like eighteen percent from the previous year's total roughly I'm not that I didn't go into journalism or content <laughs> because I was good at math yeah I think I think um, it's maybe more it's like eight percent or something but uh, it's still it's oh. you know it's it's significant right like. Um... Right, but 2019 was 5,000, right? Oh, no, 2019 was like 7,000 and something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, got it. Okay, yep, got it. Um, so, what, but what do you do when you spend all this time to pick a, a certain solution and then, um, then it just disappears? Like, how do you recover from that? Or is it really just, I mean, I always like to tell um, anybody I work with, you know, keep in mind, things change. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but... Sometimes that's easier to remember. Well, I think, again, this kind of goes back to those two different buckets, right? Like um, it would be disastrous 
for your CRM or your marketing automation platform or your website platform to just go away, right? That would, um, man, that would be crushing. Um, on the other hand, like, uh, you know, if we're using Anchor and we like it and then next week they decide to shut it down, how hard is it going to be for you to, oh, well, you know, I'll move back to Zencaster. I'll try doing this over Zoom. I just like, you know, there's there's a bunch of these tools where, again, because the switching costs are low and the investment costs are low, there is a certain elasticity to it that, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to, you know, have a certain amount of this churn. I mean, now if you really love Anchor and it goes away, yeah, I mean, that's disappointing, but, you know, it's not going to kill your business. Right. And you might take that time to reevaluate. Do I need podcasts or do I, you know, there was a tool I looked at the other day and I'm not going to mention what it is um, for um, basically podcasting and um, the work. It was just 20x of what I'm doing now to produce a podcast. And I'm like, it's just I'm not getting anything on my return on effort. (laughs) Right. By switching to this tool at all. Um, so are most of the most of the churn is that happening with um, the smaller level companies or are there any of those um, bigger companies in there that uh, were would be devastating to a company if they uh, move away or, or totally um, disappear? Yeah, I mean, there's always some it's probably like in the middle where things get, you know, the most complicated because you get companies that have a certain amount of scale uh, and particularly if what they're selling is a more enterprise solution that's a little bit more complex, there was a, you know, larger adoption uh, curve to be uh, uh, overcome there. Um, yeah, when those go away, that that is challenging. But usually the way they go away is different than the small companies. Like the small companies, some of them will just go out of business. They'll just shut down. They decide it's not profitable. When you get up into the larger ones, because they have usually valuable customer bases, you know, they've got a non-trivial, you know, revenue stream. Usually what's happening there is they're being acquired uh, by some other company, either, you know, one of their peers who's trying to merge them together or possibly one of the major platforms. I mean, you're constantly hearing how, you know, I mean, Oracle and Microsoft and Salesforce and Adobe, I mean, they're always acquiring companies in this space. Um you know, and so when they acquire those companies, you know, one of the key parts of the acquisition is, all right, how are we going to manage the integration? What are we going to do with this customer base? How are we going to migrate them? Are we going to keep the tool alive? Are we going to repackage it? You know, all these things. But, you know, because it then becomes their brand on the line. Um, yeah, they usually take care in making sure that, you know, there's a bridge for those customers, uh, you know, to get to the next stage of the evolution um, so it's a risk, but it's not a – there are relatively few cases I could think of where, you know, like, uh, oh, this very strongly adopted expensive solution that, you know, lots of people had invested in just completely went away and they were entirely left, uh, you know, high and dry. That doesn't tend to happen. Got it. Um, I think – so earlier I kind of breezed over this topic when you were talking about the 150 and 2011, which is just – uh, sounds so <laughs> yes, little. Wait, so nice, yes. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> 150. Um, and that, that is a, that's not even a decade ago now. Um, and, you know, I think I made the comment really briefly on, well, um, everybody has some kind of tool today or anybody uses technology. 
But are there companies? And then I, while you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, when I know we don't travel very much right now, or I don't at least. Um, every time you're like at the, the gate, you know, I think I swear they use DOS <laughs> on their computers. And <laughs> right, or you go to the dry cleaner, um, they use DOS. That's like yeah. the blue screen, you know? Um, and so, so the question is, are all companies, are all marketing teams today using some kind of marketing technology uh, software to help them of some kind? Or are there still teams out there that really, truly don't use anything? I mean, do, yeah, do you Yeah, that's know? a great question. So part of my challenge is because of the things I focus on, uh, I tend to spend a lot of time with the the upper quartile uh, of marketing teams out there that are kind of pushing the envelope and really adopting a lot of the technology. Uh, and so I tend to understand that cohort pretty well. Uh, what I don't have as clear of an understanding of, but I know just from the numbers I've seen in you know industry research is, yeah, actually the vast majority of businesses in the world today don't have much marketing technology. And it's interesting to see how some of those companies are being converted into marketing technology. Like for instance, um, I just saw like uh, there was a company uh, just got some more funding this week uh, called Slice. And it is this sort of all-in-one platform for pizzerias, you know, for managing the whole online experience and placing orders and managing things on the back end and customer loyalty. It's like, is a full business operating slash marketing operating system just for pizzerias, you know? And so you kind of imagine, I mean, you know, like probably a lot of pizzerias out there, you know, like marketing systems wasn't one of their, you know, top line investments of like, oh my goodness, you know, I need to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do for my customer data platform. You know, they just aren't thinking that way, but, you know, they're now being served by some of these, you know, very niche, very targeted industry vertical solutions. And yeah, they probably don't even think of it as MarTech. All they know is, oh yeah, yeah, well, we use Slice. Great. <laughs> and what a uh, uh, perfect <laughs> name <Yeah>. too. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, you know, I so that reminded me of another thing. So I was actually working on a project the other day where um, basically, it was an integrated system um, for like uh, business brokers, right? Everything in one um, the website, email, um, CRM, everything kind of tied together and, and um, sold as a package. Um, do you, and, and, I, and all I could think when I looked at this, I thought, how convenient, <laughs> right? I don't have to, like, I don't have to work with eight companies, I'm working with one company. And now it's all integrated. I still have to run my own campaigns and everything. Um, but do you think, is that kind of the the future, like integration? Or um, will it be, like, if I'm thinking of my own um, software use here, you know, I mean, I have, um, like, standalone, basically, for the most part, standalone companies I'm, I'm um, subscribing to or working with. Um, and sometimes they integrate, sometimes they don't. But is that the future that everything integrates? Yeah, so it's such a great question. I, there was uh, a quote by um, oh, that famous VC uh, uh, behind like Silicon Graphics and Netscape and all those. And, uh, I'm slipping on his name, but he had this comment once of like, there's basically only two ways to make money, bundling 
and unbundling. Um, you know, that uh, that aphorism has been repeated, you know, many times. And it's kind of right. I mean, basically, there is a benefit to going fully bundled, right? You get everything in, you know, one package. It's one vendor. You know, all the tools work together in theory. Um, and that's true. But then there's also a benefit to unbundling. It's like, oh, well, actually, I don't have to be dependent on one vendor because it turns out dependencies on a single uh, vendor don't always work in your favor. Um, uh, you know, market power is interesting when, you know, competition, you know, starts to uh, diminish, um, you know, and that, you know, like tools that are bundled together what happens if you don't like the way that particular feature and that particular suite does something? And you're like, yeah, I mean, it's great for email, but I really hate the way it does, you know, uh, video marketing. You know, if you don't have a choice, it kind of sucks. But if you're like, hey, listen, I'm going to use this for my email marketing. I'm going to use this for, you know, my video marketing. Uh, you know, this is where the whole, uh, you know, best in breed phrase comes from. And I think what's interesting is, it, it's so easy to position those things as a dichotomy, like it's either all one extreme or all the other. But the reality is we're, we're, we seem to be headed towards a world where it's kind of the best of both to say, hey, listen, I'm, I, I want a foundational platform that I run most of my marketing on. And it becomes like my system of record for, you know, in particular customer data. But then it is an open platform and it allows me to plug in and integrate with a variety of more specialized apps across an ecosystem. You know, it's, we're not perfectly there yet today. This is still very much an industry in transition, but I feel like that is the direction things are headed. And so it's always the answer is it depends. <laughs> yeah, right? so you simplified it again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my journalism hat on, Scott. Um, so, but I'm thinking as you were talking about that, right? So I use different tools and um, and at the core, I have my website, right? And there's some things that I trigger out there directly out of that system, which is email, some social pushes, uh, other things. Um, but at the end of the day, as I mentioned earlier, I still use Buffer because I don't like the scheduling in that tool, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm doing the same thing what you just kind of mentioned. Like I have one base, but then I pick and choose for other things that I need. Um, and, you know, I just uh, um, work with somebody else on that. Um, when you don't have a technology, when you're really on the, the low end of implementation of marketing technology, how do people get started? How do they even know they need it? Um, you know, would you recommend they jump into uh, like, yeah, what wh would they jump in? Jump in the deep end of the pool or, uh, you know, well, get I your think, feet wet? Um, you know, it's it's always important to remember. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love MarTech and I'm a total MarTech geek. Um, but, you know, it's really important to keep in perspective that MarTech is a means to an end. Um, and what you really want is clarity around what that end is. Like, what are you trying to do? You know, like, what who are you trying to reach? You know, what sort of channels do you need to reach them in? Uh, what sort of experience or content would you be producing to, you know, reach them? Once you do reach them and you engage them, like what would be their expectations? How would you serve them? And I think if you stay focused as a marketer on the business and the customer journey, that's really right. I mean, that's 
90% of the battle, you know, and then I think there's this 10%, uh, you know, then happens on the backstage of like, okay, given that's who I'm trying to reach and where they want to be reached and how they want to be reached, here are the kinds of things I need to do. Now let me evaluate the tools that are going to let me do that efficiently, effectively, um, you know, and so I think, you know, for anyone who's, yeah, trying to get into this sort of stuff, yeah, yeah, what was that Simon Sinek, you know, like start with why? Like, uh, why? What are you, what are you actually trying to do? Um, and then the, the, the tool evaluation thing, you know, comes uh, much further down Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, but what are you currently doing? How can you make it easier? I still remember stories, right, where I have, where, where people are doing email very manually. And, you know, there's really no reason to do that today. There's so many tools out there. So that's a good start, right? Figure out, you know, what's the current workflow? Why are we doing it? What are we doing? Um, and how do we make it easier? Um, what do you think is the future? Uh, 10,000 listed next year? Or what's uh, when is this going to, yeah, when is the bubble burst? That's a great question, too. The one reason it's hard to answer that <laughs> is because it kind of depends on what you want to define as an app, um, you know, so for instance, one example I give is uh, WordPress is a very popular CMS. WordPress has something like 60,000 plugins available to it. Uh, now, you know, uh, I'm sure not all those plugins are high quality, probably a number of them are not even maintained, you know, but still, you know, 60,000 plugins. And out of that, there probably are several thousand that are actually good and active and all this. And so, you know, there's a bit of a philosophical question of like, okay, well, does a plugin for WordPress count as a MarTech tool? Um, you know, I, I think actually an argument would be that it does. I mean, I don't track those on the landscape because I would go insane if I went down to that level. But it makes you stop and think. I mean, like all the various apps we install on our phones, again, like Anchor FM, right? I mean, like, you know, how many apps do you bring to, you know, your iPhone or your Android phone that, are helping you with what you're doing in, you know, marketing and sales. I mean, okay, well, if you're you're adopting them for that purpose, do you count them as a MarTech tool? Um, and so that's, anyway, <laughs> I know, getting super philosophical. So that's one question. Uh, I would say the broader answer to your question is, I think it's going to be above 5,000 for the rest of the decade. Uh, I don't know if it will shrink a bit, if it's going to continue to grow. Obviously, the current events everyone's dealing with today, you know, has a lot of uncertainty for all businesses, but, you know, certainly MarTech, too. So, um, you know, I, I, I think trying to pig, uh, peg an exact number uh, would be hard. But I think saying, OK, are we going to live in a world where there's always more than 5000 MarTech apps out there? I'm going to place my chips on the table and say yes. Got it. So interesting, um, interesting comment on WordPress. I use WordPress in many of my projects and some of the apps, I don't <laughs> honestly know why they exist. Um, and, you know, like somebody just had time on their hands, I guess. But some of the apps, um, like, you know, I use Jetpack for a lot of my, um, my campaigns, quite frankly. And that's, um, you know, that's part of it. And that actually has a number of uh, plugins built in. So it's really like, I don't know, 180 plugins in one. Um, but you don't, so tell me about the philosophy. So you don't actually, 
don't tell me why you don't count that, but um, a brief overview. Um, the companies that you include in the 8,000, how, like the five. Yeah, so actually something like Jetpack, I might include just because it has such adoption and it clearly influences a significant portion of how marketers work. Um, but like, yeah, once you start getting down into the really long tail of plugin for WordPress that like maybe five people use, uh, yeah, you know, that's where I shut down. Um, in general, I'm looking at them as categories. Like I try and search for tools the way I believe a marketer would. Like if a marketer wakes up and they're like, okay, I need some sort of tool to this influencer marketing stuff, right? Like I'm hearing about it. I want to understand what it is. I want to understand what sort of tools and services I can use to, uh, you know, engage with it. And I start searching, like I'll, you know, do a ton of Google searches. I'll go to, you know, all the, you know, like review sites for G2 and Trust Radius and Captera. And, you know, I'll look at uh, who's exhibiting at conferences. I'll read articles on it. You know, I basically try and understand, okay, well, what is the scope of the different kinds of tools that are used in influencer marketing? Uh, and then, you know, without trying to go hunting, for any shred of one I can find, just simply doing like the the searches, the research. I say, well, who shows up? You know, in fact, actually, one of the areas where I keep having challenges is, um, you know, being based uh, in Boston. You know, the way search engines work now is they're so geographically um, personalized that, yeah, I, I tend to do a pretty good job of finding MarTech tools in North America. Uh, but I very often miss a whole bunch of MarTech tools that are in other regions of the world. And so I then have to kind of rely on other people in those regions to bring it to my attention and come up and say, well, you know, this tool actually has like 10,000 companies using it. And, you know, why isn't it on your map? And I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. Because there's <laughs> thousands. <laughs> Right, it's hard to keep track. Um, very interesting, Scott. Where can uh, where can people find you on the web? Uh, we'll of course post the link to the um, Martech eight thousand on chiefmartech.com in the show notes. Any other uh, sites or or profiles sure. where people can connect uh, yeah, with so you? Yeah, so the the website chiefmartech.com, and that's without an H at the end, so it's t e c dot com. Uh, and then that's also my uh, Twitter ID at Chief Martech. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out. Always happy to engage in conversation with folks. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Stories win.